microphone out of my face. If you're not doing it for yourself, then you're screwed. You're shit out of luck. If you're not doing it for yourself, then you're screwed. You're shit out of luck. Dude, you're shit out of luck. You actually had to put in the work. I'm out here spring training. What crime time? Yo, what's good, man? Yo, what do you write, bro? They're fiction. Hey, man, I write fiction. Next thing I know what I'm like, ah! There's two of them. You have the right to remain silent. You actually had to put in the work to get recognized. I parallel parked right next to a teacher. Big barbecue with a family. The last barbecue of the summertime. She's up in rehab in Boise. Jesus. So I'm flying her down for 24 hours to get dirt some fuck up. She's so dope and dope and fly by, you know. He's changing everything. What they were doing wasn't a crime. No, folks. It was crime time. Okay, come on. Try harder. Yo, you stretch-nutted fiend. I miss the soothing sound of your voice. It's good to have you on the show. What kind of hell and mischief have you been getting yourself into lately? Just cruising around and not doing my good deeds. Handing spray paint cans out to homeless people and see what kind of fucking vandalism I can conjure up. Is this a new pastime or like a hobby of yours? It's like fishing in a way for me. I can put my lines out tonight and then tomorrow I can go ride out and see if I caught anything. This is totally wrong. So what kind of results have you had? Anything? I've seen a few things, but I think that most of them probably just took the paint and sniff it in a bag. When you give them the paint, do you kind of coax them into what you'd like to see them do, or...? Yeah, I I let it be known. You know, I'd like to see this applied to surface, applied to your, your mind, might help you too, I don't know. I would call it homework for the homeless. This is definitely going to be an interesting interview. Let's start it off right. Tell us about you and how long you've been mashing on this shit. I've been in, I guess, 20 years with the same name. So when you're in it at that level, what's the point of stop? Actors, politicians, they all make name changes when they become famous. Would you ever make a name change just for a fresh start? Man, when I got into it, it was more about that was you. We didn't introduce ourselves by our real name. If I tell you my name is Zoo, that's what it is. I, I just was known by that. Sounds like your other lines chime in, man. Go ahead and grab it. My wife's calling, man. I haven't been home in a couple of days. That sounds pretty urgent, man. We can do this, you know, some other time. I already sent it to voicemail. I'm good. She knows I'll be back. So as long as she knows that, I feel like that's enough information. Yeah. A good alias will serve you well. But, you know, there's different processes of getting a name. What about just opening, like, a dictionary and finding a dope word? I think it's toy if you even uh, know what a dictionary is. Huh? I would imagine that there's people that spent time trying to come up with a name. I had been hanging around with writers for, I guess, a year or so. I was a kid, and I was just a free-range kid, basically, like, more into skateboarding and drug culture. It happened to link up with some older guys that were doing graffiti. It just fit in with where I was at, that young age. It got to the point, eventually, it was, we got around some more serious guys, and I would just be this 12-year-old kid, like, rolling joints and drinking vodka and talking shit. And they were just like, man, if you're going to be here talking shit all day, you need to paint. Like, we're not trying to listen to you. I didn't know what to write, man. Fucking, I was already wild as hell, and I was skateboarding around, and the dude just said, right, dude, and spell it this way. And that's what I did. That shit was Halloween 97, man. Some graffiti letters and letter combinations are better than others. Do you ever wish that you'd had a different cluster of letters? Probably the first solid year of me actually trying to paint. 
I could not figure out how to paint a W. My W is still questionable now. But I would do a VE, like a wild style V and an E, and then just pop a fucking wart looking throw up W on the end of it because I just hadn't figured it out. That's a rough one, man. I got to where my shit just grew into a fucking organism than a letter anyway, you know what I mean? Good job sticking it out. Graffiti Life Lesson 271. Your weaknesses become your strength. So the guys that gave you that almost impossible name, are they still around? Do they still paint? What's their story? It's already like a first generation of original Nashville guys, but we got blessed in a way, man, to just have a strong foundation. Some guys came in from out of town, from Miami and LA, and really kind of treated Nashville like their personal playground, training ground, with strong graffiti already back then, and they schooled some of the local guys. We had a good base, and I still fuck with some of those guys, man. My dude first, he started writing in 1989, and he's fucking 50 years old, we're still going out and getting spots, you know? Graffiti's a hard sport. So to just have the longevity, there's something powerful about it. And you definitely seem to get the most clarity and wisdom, you know, from a long ride. You hear the word Nashville and you think, you know, country music, you think of a music town. What's Nashville, you know, really like from, say, a tourist perspective? I mean, you know, that's a big part of it. If you go downtown, it's all what used to be rough and rowdy kind of honky-tonks and shit where you would go and get hit over there with a beer bottle. Now it's all Disneyland commercialized, like country music is the new pop music type of shit. If you drive in any thoroughfare out from downtown, you know, you're going to find every type of neighborhood, you know, it's a big city. In the past, it seems like the coastal cities carried a lot of weight. Modern-day graffiti, small towns and cities way in between are filling in the guts that are really telling their stories. Nashville is a spot where, you know, a lot of people travel through here. You know, you're on your way to Texas or the West Coast. From up north, you'll come through. If you're, it's a big crossroads. And we got lucky, man. You know, in the late 80s, Bino came up from uh, Miami with MSG. And then Cax was out here. He had gone to L.A. and brought back a lot of flavor. And fucking then Revoke came out here. He tricepta in the early 90s of Bino and Revoke trying to outbomb each other. And then this dude Cax doing huge murals like in the style of Hex and they brought AM7 and MSG crew out here so by the time I got into it I mean those dudes had massive rollers and a major developed kind of graffiti style and they kind of handed us a whole model and then those guys would come back through before Bino passed and it was just, we always kind of had the model so those dudes grilled the interstate starting in the early 90s and then they didn't paint over anything until probably 2004 so you had a decade's worth of graffiti just riding any way you went so that was the gallery to us pretty much you know you could just ride and see the, all the history of the graffiti scene out here in on plane display and morning track you know, man, graffiti is more popular than it's ever been. It's worldwide. And in a lot of ways, we could say that's a negative. But rather than go into detail about that, why don't you just tell some of the new school writers what they missed out on? To me, yeah, a lot of it was the hunt back in the day. Like, if you wanted to meet a writer, I mean, you had to go under the bridge where the writers were hanging out and try to wait and meet the motherfuckers. There was no internet. Like, one dude that we knew had the internet, and you could go to his house and drink Stainite Special Brews and look at the one graffiti website that existed. So I think that in that way, man, everybody in every city had like their own little melting pot to kind of evolve the way they needed to. Now the shit is so homogenized because you see shit every day from everywhere. You didn't see graffiti from other cities unless you went there. Unless you went to the city and hunted out the spots and found the graffiti, you weren't going to see it. We would go and get magazines, you know, a couple times a year when they would come out at the one spot. For the most part, the shit 
shit would remain isolated. And I think that that helped because now the shit is just so basic. Everybody's doing the same 1970s copycat shit. It's just watered down. Well, there's a handful snapping with their own style, but for the most part, man, it's all just blended. It feels like you were kind of born into graffiti in a sense and that you just naturally stumbled into it and found your way. But that really isn't the way that most people get involved, especially nowadays. Something I noticed is like older dudes getting into graffiti. I've been 20 years old already and want to learn how to write. But for me, this shit was just part of my natural habitat. When I was 12 years old, first started like following dudes around with a sharpie trying to copy their tags. This shit just was part of my growing up. It's a lot closer to the heart, I think, in that way. You know what I mean? You know, a lot of the dudes that I came up with don't paint at all. We might paint together once every couple of years. We can still just get together and shoot the shit and, and it's all good. It's not for content. I think magazines were a really dope part of the graffiti culture. Even though there was heavy bias and a lot of the same guys were in every magazine, it was always nice to get your grimy mittens on a magazine. What do you think about them? I think it's good. I'm a visual person. I still have a fucking huge Tupperware hard copies that I'll thumb through every now and then, you know? I'm a hoarder. I keep shit around. Anything I can put my hands on, it's old. I like it, you know? Would you say your style's inspired by other artists, or...? I don't want to see a whole lot of other folks receiving because I like to keep that fucking isolation to let my own shit evolve the way it's going. So I don't want to be at the wall and then find out, oh, fuck, like I got some whack boy I accidentally looked at rubbing off on me right now because I took it into my mind. What do you really like most about the graffiti experience? And don't hold back, you rotten puke. My favorite thing ever is like an old cracked out prostitute walking by my piece and pointing at just an insignificant corner and telling me that there's a dragon there. Are you a drop a piece, sketch idea, black booking guy, or you just kind of wing it? Anytime I would try to draw my whole name out, I get through a letter or two and then I just doodle it off page and leave. It's a slow game that way because I'm not forever chasing three weeks or a month until I paint again. I'll paint, I'll change that one little bit I didn't like last and shit. I like fucking with the young kids, getting on their walls. It opens your eyes to a different way. Flip it up. I think if, if you keep adding in at whatever level you decide, it's going to go where it's going to go. Graph writers are definitely kind of rock stars and they're living an outlandish rock star lifestyle. Drugs, women, cocaine, all the fixings. Is that really a part of it? Yeah, I think so, man. I mean, my back to fucking artists 200 years ago sitting around drinking absinthe and banging prostitutes, smoking opium like the shit is just part of it. If you're going to be a creative person and you're out in the middle of the night, run down the area of town, you're going to eventually meet some people over there. You just summoned the ghost of Van Gogh talking about absinthe. And I went to Europe with my pops when, when I was nine. He was a guitar player and just like drove me and my mom along on this trip. We went to the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam. Seeing now, man, when I'm painting, I, I feel like that shit might have had more of an influence on me than I realized at the time. That was the first graffiti I saw, too. When we got off a train in Norway, turning around, man, the sun took this train and it's like a rainbow from end to end. I didn't know what it was. I just thought, that's crazy. That's cool. It's not one color. But then to see Star Wars and all these graffiti movies a few years later, it's like, oh shit, that train was real from end to end. I think it'd be sick to actually find that car and figure out who actually did it. Okay, how about this question? When was the first time you ever tried to pull off a hustle? My folks would have crazy-ass parties. I would have been like five or six, I guess. And I learned early on that I could work the room. They have all these drunk motherfuckers. I'd have my staff of little doodles and watercolors and like just go from room to room where everybody's partying. It was like five bucks a piece. 
found out. And the later I could stay up, the, the looser everybody's pockets got. And I would start just pulling 20s and 50s and shit and just wake up with a whole stack of bills crumpled up off of my art. So I think it gave me some delusion that that would be a way to make money in the future. Is there a snowflake's chance in hell that a graffiti writer can make money doing this shit? I've spent way more money on lawyers than I've ever made from being a wall. Definitely been a payout for me over the long run. Not just you, man, but any artist to keep it going this long is a miracle in a sense. I'm trying to live clean as I can these days. I'm not drinking all the time. I'm not out all hours of night, most nights. I'm not into sports, you know, none of that shit. I don't play video games. I always just get drugs and graffiti, so it's like graffiti is still that better option for me if I'm trying to do something. Graffiti never yelled at me. Graffiti never told me I wasn't shit. That's my first love, man. Graffiti's definitely a hot little mama, and you sure love her. Yeah, for sure. You know, when you make love to a woman and you're trashed, it's a completely different experience than if you're sober. But what about painting a piece, man? Does being fucked up or being sober affect the quality of the piece? Man, I feel differently probably about that today as I used to. Back in the day, I just would be on drugs no matter what. So that's whatever I painted was going to be the expression of that. I noticed that like that was older and, you know, using graffiti as an excuse to like go pound pieces in the yard or whatever reason, my shit suffered for sure. I'm trying to be on this more sober shit right now. I definitely feel like when I go paint, I'm more satisfied and in control of what I'm doing because I got a problem with time, man. Like, I may go to the wall and drink a few beers, get loose, take my piece, and then by the time I have my, half my outline up, I'm down the road, you know, with the local street urchin, you know, trying to figure out what's the next step. And I've given up on the piece, and I may never come back, and I may just shit on the front doorstep of the building that's letting us paint, and they call it house. You just never know. I'm noticing more and more that if I go just with paint and read and paint my piece, it's coming out a lot better than if I'm eating ecstasy and throwing cocaine. You know what I mean? It's a riddle, but it definitely makes sense. Something was in there. There was some kind of amount of words in there that meant something. I'm sure of it. So getting sober could be like being lost in a forest and you find your way out. Do you think it's your responsibility to help others find their way out of the forest? I grew up in an AA household and not like a real functional one, you know what I mean? So I was exposed to a lot of shit. Yeah, man, get help, bro. If I was having a problem, I got tired of feeling so weak. When you're young and you're drinking and you're partying, you feel like invincible, you feel strong. But you're not, man. You're all fucked up. Anybody can just come through and do what the fuck they want to do, man. I just like waking up as myself and feeling confident enough in myself and what I'm doing with my daily life to know, like, I don't really need that crutch, man. Good friends all die off the shit. My inclination is to just go all the way in. So it's never been something where I can just dabble here and there. It's all good because I'm just, I'm either all the way in or I can just stay the fuck away. And my pops drank himself to death, man, when I was 12. My mom just went in after that and never really came back. I witnessed the shit from day one. You know, my earliest memories are just all the way wild, crazy shit. So it's like I've seen it all the way through. I've lived it. I, I was an opiate addict through a accident that I was in. I was in the hospital for three months. When I came out, I was intravenous fentanyl addict. You know what I mean? It's the shit that killed Trent. Being a person that already was inclined toward drugs and alcohol and just loose women or whatever, I fed into that shit real easily. Sometimes you gotta make a choice on your own and make a change. But for me, man, I think I was lacking a good manager for a long time. And when I met my old lady, we were both real fucked up. Kind of started with the, the very worst foot forward to just see, like, hey, this is as bad as it can get. What do you think we should do? And she really helped kick my ass in the line, man. And then when I had kids and do what I need to do, I just, you really need to make a adjustment in your life in order to make the shit work.
well as good as they can and, and my folks just didn't have what it took to do that continue doing what they were doing and i was a new all these here i am somebody listening to this show right now is probably thinking i've got to call my uncle in hollywood this to make the best movie but i think the best parts of your story haven't been told yet and you were mentioning something about an accident something terrible happened why don't you talk about that? Basically, man, I dropped out of school when I was 17. I was going to get my GED, and my buddy, Supa, who's been long dead, rest in peace, got me this job where we would work third shift on the interstate, like riding the inner wall of the interstate, the big sweeper truck, and then we had our own truck, like call a shadow truck. Basically, anything that the sweeper couldn't get, I would jump off the side of this big truck and grab it and throw it on the back of our flatbed mat. Dishwashers and, and hoods and trunks and bumpers and just whatever. We found five DVD players in the boxes one night. It was dope, man. I loved it. We'd just get high and ride all night listening to music, telling stories, picking up shit, and praising on the interstate and whatever else. Our boss was super cool. Did that for a little bit, and I guess it was St. Louis of 2000, and all the dudes I worked with were riders, and everybody was taking off. They're like, we're all going to go to St. Louis. You got to come to fuck this job. You know, basically, the boss hit me and was like, I need you. I'll pay you double overtime, basically, to stay back and work. I told him I'd do that. It was all good. But I'd been up three days just smoking crack, running around wild all the way fucking on, and showed up at work, junkied out, blunts, five blunts, rolled up in my sock so I could hide on the back of the truck and get high. So point man through the night i just fell asleep i guess on my little perch i had this little like metal seat welded to the back of the truck where i would sit and just hop off and grab shit and i just fell on my face dude on the pavement and before i realized what was going on i felt like somebody grabbed my foot wheels were coming up my leg trying to crawl out of the way and i just heard the truck shake as the wheels crushed my pelvis and it came down into the ground like bam you heard it bounce off of me i screamed out the dude stopped the whole shit went into slow motion, sitting there waiting on the cops to come, you know, basically just died on the side of the road, man, it was just on some next level otherworldly shit. I hear the ambulance coming, I hear the, the siren, hella faint, kind of snapped me out of whatever never world I was in, it was like, back to reality right now, I'm like, my boss pouring water on my face. He's telling me, go to just relax, but man, I just had this shit in the back of my mind, if you go to sleep right now, you're never going to wake up, dude. This is it. This is, you know, this is the time. I stayed awake, man. I couldn't stop. I was trying to crawl to the inner wall of the interstate. I thought I was going to get run over again. I thought I was in the lane. We hear the ambulance coming. They fucking pass us. They pass right by us. I hear them farther and farther away. And they had to go all the way up to the next exit, basically, and turn around and come back. When they come up on me, man, I hear simultaneously two guys. And one of them just says, holy shit. And the other one at the same time was like, oh, my God. And they're like totally fucking blown away by whatever they were seeing. And boss jumped up. But he's awake. You know, shut the fuck up, basically. And they all of a sudden go into, uh, you're going to be all right everything's okay, you look great, like the whole nine, they give me an ambulance. At this time, man, my bladder had exploded like a fucking water balloon, and it was filling my chest to piss. Every breath I took, it was just like shorter and shorter, I couldn't catch a breath. I gave them the number of my mom, you know, they're like, who do you want to call? I gave this name, this phone number, and they put a mask on me. And I woke up, and seven days later, I felt like it had been five minutes. Drug-induced coma, while they chopped me open to figure out what the fuck was going on. They barely saved my leg, and I came within 20 minutes out them reattaching my arteries and shit, and they were just going to amputate. It was a hard road, man. I spent three months 
in the hospital, back and forth between intensive care and rehabilitation. Basically, you got to learn to walk again. You got to learn everything, man. Straight wheelchair ridden and strung out. They're giving me high, high doses of fentanyl just to change my bandages because the morphine just wouldn't even put a fent in it. And it was just understood, like, when this kid goes home, he's going to be a straight scene. There's no other way around it. It's the only way we can treat him. That's the shit that I went home to whenever it finally was decided I could leave also. After giving them a lot of torment, man, I, I gave those people fucking hell, ripping TVs off the wall, just the whole shit, hallucinating, bringing crowds of wild motherfuckers to come up and visit me and shit. It was wild, man. When you've been through some shit like that, it makes everything else seem very small. It's hard to get a grip on fear and shit after that. You can survive that and get a bit of a, at least I did, man. I got a real strong invincibility complex after that, you know, just if that can't kill me, what the fuck can Let's try and see if we can find out. I mean, let's get it real, man. Modern medicine saved your life. Is there anything you would say to those doctors or nurses if they happen to be listening right now? Hey, good looking out. Thanks a lot. I had a doctor tell me, man, I, I, I just had a hip replacement last Thanksgiving from all this. It's been 17 years ago when this originally happened, but I'm still dealing with it. A life of chronic pain. Yeah, I just had my hip replaced, and the doctor told me, he was looking at my files. He's just like, man, I'm going to tell you right now, if they would have brought you here to this hospital, you'd be dead. Vanderbilt in Nashville is one of the top trauma hospitals in the country, and that, I just happened to be right down the road from there when it happened. So that's where I ended up. I've had doctors and nurses tell me some other facilities, man, if they'd have brought you here, you wouldn't have made it. You know, that, that's the only place they could have saved you. Man, this shit is just too real. And it's super scary, man. I mean, you pretty much almost died. You should have died. And you stuck with us. Is there a reason you're alive? Does your life have a purpose? Do you have a guardian angel? Something that was with you that kept you going? Why did your ticket not get punched that day? No, I knew, man. I, it's funny, you know, I'm a, a father. They, they told me, you know, you never... It started with, basically, we're going to probably have to take this leg. But I don't think this leg is going to make it. We're probably going to have to take it off. And then it was like, you can probably keep it, but I don't think you're going to be able to walk. And then it was like, you know, you're, you're doubtfully going to be able to have kids, man. This shit ran over your dick. And not saying this shit got crushed, I doubt you're going to be able to, to even procreate. I mean, it just went through this long line. But at every step, back in my mind, it was just like, fuck that. You know, like, nah, that's not me. I'm going to be fine, dude. I'll be out here with my walker getting shit done. And that's what it was, too, you know? I got through it, man. I don't know. Yeah, I got guardian angels. I don't believe in angels, I guess, but I believe in something. And uh, I definitely got a few with me, for sure. So I had shit to do. I didn't know what the fuck it was, but I knew that something was yet to come, and I need to hold the fuck up. I would think, having survived a situation like that, that you have a completely different outlook on life and death. But what do you appreciate about life now the most? For me, it's just really none of this bullshit out here matters. I just cannot be fucking bothered with some day-to-day -day shit because it can be snatched away, man, in two seconds. And if you're out here confused, you're just going to be a pathetic victim to it. you got to accept what the fuck it is, what is going on, make the best of it, man. If you're sitting around whining about the next man and his feelings, you're going to miss a whole lot. And then when you do get wiped out and a eagle fucking snatches your brain out or whatever happens to you, did you do anything that was worth the fuck or did you just sit around and complain? Well, what did you do? A story of that magnitude is definitely grounds for a public service announcement. Here's a wake-up call to all you semen-dribbling ass clowns. We don't have to kill animals for food. When you want light, you flip a switch. 
the temperature isn't right, you adjust the thermostat. Man, we have it so damn good, and all we hear is complaints. It's probably time to wake up and step up. Help other people, help yourself, and make the world a better place. Sorry about that. I didn't mean to call out two-thirds of the population or more. But let's move on to a slightly positive subject. What about massage parlors? And more importantly, the ones that go the extra mile. Have you ever spent any time in one of those establishments? I came around at the tail end of actual whorehouses out here in Nashville. Back in the fucking late 90s, I mean, there were several spots where you could just go and get taken care of. You know, and it was all good and all fine. The cops really weren't tripping. I was so young, man, that everybody would go. We'd all go out partying and painting and shit. They knew I was underage. They would never let me in. All my buddies would go in and pay the fuck, and I would have to go and take a nap or sleep in the alley behind the place. And several times, when I fell asleep and had my shoes taken, and this was before cell phones. There was no cell phones. I would wake up barefooted downtown and have to stumble around as a child looking for the one dude that had a mobile phone that I could try to call somebody. So I didn't have good work with the massage parlors. <laughs> they came through in fucking 1999 and shut down all of them on one night. <laughs> hey, hold on. I'm, I'm uh, in the store, but give me a second. No worries, brother. Handle it. Hey, how are you? I'm great. Hey, good night. Hey, there. Hey, I heard the transaction. You're quite the gentleman. So, how was the clerk, man? Was she a hottie or what? No, you know, I'm not really, man. I'm mobile right now. I might have made it to Kentucky. I don't think I'm going to stick with back around camp and see where I'm at. Everyone and their filthy grandmother smokes weed now, including you. Especially you. You don't leave home without it. Why do you think they legalized it? And what do you suppose their motive is? It can't be pure. Originally, it was made illegal to fucking run Mexicans out of the Southwest. So we took the shit from Mexico. We wanted to get rid of the Mexicans. We were all smoking weed, so we made the shit illegal. That shit was well documented. I came out of the hospital, man, strung the fuck out on all kind of pills. Every problem I had, they told me, take this next pill to make it better. And I lived like that, man, for, for years. You know what I mean? That was my cycle. Finally, I got a new doctor who said, I can't even fuck with you until you go and get dried out. Like, I don't know what you need. I don't know what is wrong with you. You have to go to treatment, get off of these drugs, and then come back and see me. And I did that. I went to treatment, and I realized when I came out, I went back to smoking weed. And it was like, wait a second. All the fucking benefit that I was having was coming from this weed. Those pills weren't helping me, man. Like, there's nothing better for me than cannabis. I got a lot of nerve damage. I got a lot of muscle pains and issues that I'm dealing with. It's fucking medicine, bro. She was medicine for 10,000 years. It's always going to be. Until they can siphon off as much money as they can, possibly, then it's going to remain illegal, at least where I'm at. I'm in the Bible Belt. You know, they're low to change out here. Man, I absolutely love the freaking names for marijuana. Nepalese Kush, Chemdog, Indie Gold. Nordell, Trainwreck, Bubblegum. Do you have a favorite strain, something that's dear to your heart? What happens out here is motherfuckers get whatever weed gets sent in, and then they just put whatever name on it. You know what I mean? So I never really put a lot of cloud behind it because motherfuckers would just make up something. Do you have a preference? I mean, sativas really pick you up and indicas kind of shut you down. Put you to bed? Because I'm not trying to sleep. I got kids. I got to keep up with them and fucking run around. So I'm trying to be awake. It sounds like you've embraced the joys of fatherhood, which isn't always a commonly shared a belief. Even when I was at my most fucked up, man, I had people ask me if I'd ever have kids. And I always say, yeah, you know, eventually when, whenever I'm in a better spot, 
I always know when I have kids. I think growing up without a parent does something to where either you go the way they went, do what they did, or you decide, you know what, I want to use that as the motivation to actually be a father, to actually be a parent. My parents tried to tell me Santa Claus was real. I'm like, man, how are you going to have a trusting relationship with somebody when you base your whole uh, interaction on lies, man? My kids know I'm the one buying the presents on Christmas. You know what I mean? Like, there is no Santa Claus. There is no Jesus, man. Get real. Like, I'm the one. You need to fucking please. Early on in our conversation, you discussed that your father had passed away when you were young. Let's talk about him a little bit and talk about some of the positive attributes that you acquired from him. Growing up and really looking back, and he had a strong role of history. He's an educated dude. He's a compassionate dude. Most of the fucking positive attributes that people might say that I have came from him. I guess being a parent makes you really reanalyze the shit. And I used to think, man, my dad was a psycho. You know, he's like a famous crazy person almost in a way. And I always thought that's what that was. But now it's like, hold up, man, really? Almost like my mom's was the one that was off the chain. He was the one that was able to kind of shine through and, and drop some humanity and drop some knowledge. I hate to think where I would be if I didn't at least have that. He took me to Yellowstone when I was four and took me to the fucking wounded knee and shit. Told me that was important. But he's a travel dude. You know, he got around, he traveled the world playing music. Everything you take in comes back out somehow. So I think he transferred a lot of that shit to me. And I would definitely credit him for any positivity in my personality at this point. Let's talk about freight, man. Let's talk about trains. And I'm not talking about the one you pulled at Arctic Circle that one night. You didn't see the tape, did you? Uh, no. Sit on the record, man. Before I met my woman, I was a virgin. She's the only person I've ever had sex with. Yes, indeed. You're quite the wholesome man. But as I was saying, uh, trains. You like them, you love them, you hate them. I love them, man. You know, the city can get tired. Certain amount of dudes trying to get walls. But the trains, if you hold down the slots, are there for the taking. You know, we got a good, a good amount of spots out here. I've stayed pretty active on it. I was lucky when I first started. I didn't know shit. I mean, I didn't know what the train was, where it was going, but we lived uh, right down the road from the Nissan manufacturing facility. So it would be three miles of auto racks in the woods every day. You know what I mean? We could go down there and paint, but it wasn't like a mission. It was basically, I don't have a good spot. I don't have a, a wall today. Let's go paint these trains. Trains are definitely the most essential part of a graffiti writer's diet nowadays, especially in the States. What's the oldest piece you have running on the line right now? One of the first trains I ever painted is still just rolling around. I'll randomly see photos of it pop up 20 years old. Tennessee is definitely home to you, and you love it. And there's a lot of culture. There's a lot of stories to be had and to be told about it still. Man, anybody that comes through Nashville that's truly affiliated and is a, a real writer, like, they know what it is. You know, they've been out here, they've hung out with us and painted with us, and they know how we get down. Nashville's, they're trying to keep up with the times, and it's a very rapidly developing city, and there's, like, there's not a whole lot of flight to be had. But, man, you go to a city like Memphis, I think something like 50% of the city is abandoned. You know what I mean? It's a place that just is meant for graffiti. And we would go down there back in the late 90s. There was no writers, and there was nobody that was writing. There was one dude, Kodak, who would, he had a couple pieces under certain bridges, but we would go down there and get spots, and, and some of that shit's still riding. It's a real fucking grinding city, man. It's, it's serious business. I've had a lot of dudes come out from L.A. and from fucking New York and everywhere else, and they'll all let you know Memphis is, is real shitty. It's, uh, it's a rough fucking town, man. A vital part of the game can be your affiliation. What crews do you whore yourself out to? The only crew I ride is 42 crew. 
stems from an original Nashville crew that was IA back in the day. The shit got hella watered down and we kind of tightened it down. Just a handful of knuckleheads I met hanging around the abortion clinic trying to pick up dates that we all started partying and painting together back in the day. A couple of the guys have been around, Al, Blink, and Hass, so I got my name from. Those were the three first guys from South Nashville that started the crew and really were getting shit done. You know, my whole aspiration back in the day was just to get down by a crew, pack my backpack full of St. Ives, go bang hookers. And then we had TM crew who was doing a lot of walls and things like that. And it was kind of just understood that out here that was it. It was IA and TM, TM does production, IA, crazy party addicts that paint. So that was it for me. 42 crew, man. It's the only crew I'm down with officially. That's my crew. That's my homies. I'm chatted up. We're all fucking wild. Other than that, I don't push any other crews. You know, there is this preset notion for a young toaster strudel smothered toy that he has to be in a crew to make it. But what's the truth? Is it the writer that makes the crew or the crew that makes the writer? By comparison, let's think about a band name. Any name. Let's say the name of your band is the Gollywogs. If the music's good, then the name Gollywogs represents good music. Half the dudes in my crew aren't really painting. You know what I mean? I think that it becomes a family issue at that point. We're, we're not really looking for more guys to get down. It's got to be a real, a real easy thing. We got a couple of young guys out of Memphis that are just doing stupid amounts of trains and traveling and stuff. And uh, I was reluctant to even put that. You know, to me, I'm not one of these guys that wants 500 fucking people in my crew because I feel like it just becomes a bowl of fucking Campbell soup at that point. You know what I mean? I'd rather know I got five dudes that I could call right now and real true writers if it's graffiti or it's whatever else and they ain't gonna say shit more important to me than what you're painting I think that out here you know young guys coming up so if they have an idea of what the crews are and if they want to affiliate themselves with it or whatever a few minutes ago you talked about your lady kind of keeping you in check and looking after you but how do you feel about you know people that put up their lady on every piece in high school as a girlfriend I threw her up every piece that I did I would put her name big as hell inside the letter with bubbles and hearts and the whole shit. And then when I ended up cheating on her and banging one of her friends, she went to my house and got my photo albums and chopped them up with her scissors and cut all her fucking names out. So I knew right then I'm never hitting up a bitch next to my future kid. Stickers are more trendy than colored hair and spandex. I mean, everyone, their mother, their daughter, and three of their shit nieces have got stickers now. Are you on that game too? I'm, a, I'm, I'm about to jump on that fucking bandwagon. Who's got a good balance and sticker? Okay, that's what's going on. I'm getting hold of this in the bike, man. I got my doctor telling me, get on the fucking bike and work that puny ass up. Your shit is fucking hella weak. You need to get out and, and do some squats, Kim Kardashian style. So I thought, man, let me just get a two-gallon bucket full of stickers, bungee that shit to my handlebars, and just go ride around town taking the shit on everything. Fuck it. All my stickers I get, I'm going to put on one gas pump. You're pretty open about most of the vices you carry, women, drugs, alcohol, but what about uh, gambling? Are you a degenerate gambler as well? You know, I'm into it. If, it, if it's the atmosphere and it's going down, I'm into it. It's not something that I search out. I grew up around it, and my pops ran a fucking roulette ring out of his apartment before he passed. Like, I grew up with dice in my hand for sure, but if I see one shaking, I'm getting in for sure. You know, the things that make you laugh and that you find funny say a lot about you. So, who is your favorite comedian? Uh, you know, I fuck with Dick Gregory, man. Rest in peace. God damn it. The good ones always go quick, don't they? They go young. You know, Sam Kinison, Bill Hicks. And I kind of have a theory on that. See, I kind of feel like life is a scavenger hunt. 
and there's like 10 flags you have to collect starting with like I don't know your first fight or your first love your first job you go through this different catalog of life collecting flags and I think like comedians actors musicians Jim Morrison stuff like that they collect their flags way too fast they live too fast and by the time they've got that 10th flag it's like poof yeah, you should write that shit down and call it gospel, man. I'm with you. I, be- I believe you. I almost burned my whole tank of gas. I might have to fucking get off it. Let me get this joint. Hold on. What the hell? Do you like horror flicks? Um, are you going to see that new Stephen King's It? You know, when we're on TV and it was enough to scare the shit out of me. So I'm kind of on the fence of if I even want to see the new one because I enjoyed that one. And I don't want this one to fuck me up, you know? A little tidbit fact about that, too, is that the original came out in 1990. It was just regular television. And just like in the storyline, how every 27 years the clown comes back, it came back. Now it's in the movies, 2017. So what about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, man? Did that scare the shit out of you? My mom used to tell me that that Texas Chainsaw, she would show it to me when I was like six, seven years old, however old, and tell me that it was all true that she remembered it and she lived right down the road and the shit almost happened to her. So I grew up thinking that shit was like legit history. You know what I mean? It always resonated with me. Yeah, I like the exorcist. I don't know if shit turned me on somehow. The exorcist, man, definitely scared the living shit out of me. Do you believe in devils and angels? I believe in something, man. I don't know. I keep a little crew of the house with me and more comfortable in that fucking realm than I am in you know, real life at the coffee shop or whatever. Death is like truly the unknown. Are you scared to die or are you going to embrace death? I feel like I died. I'm passing a street sweeper and a cold crew doing the shit I did when I got run over right now. But say that, you know what I mean? I saw some things. I came back. I've seen some people. I talked to some people. I'm above the believers. You know what I mean? Everybody is going to die. You know you are. If you worry about it and try to control the shit, you're going to limit yourself. I guess, man, I've survived so many nights or it's just the next day when you realize you're home and what all had taken place, if you can remember it all, and people tell you these things that happened, I'm hard-pressed to find what's going to kill me. Every man in my family has died of a heart attack at 52. My dad, you know, drunk-induced heart attack, 52. His dad, 52 heart attack, his, his dad. So it's like generations, we got this thing going. My brother's 44, 45. So he's getting there. I'm waiting on him. I feel like uh, if he can break the curse, then, then I'll be all good. But If he does go up 52... Then you know the ride's over, pretty much. Hold on, I got real high, and I'm trying to fucking find my exit again. The news media is definitely bought and paid for. I mean, even the weatherman puts on makeup, for hell's sake. Why do people still believe what they see on TV? Why don't they look in the mirror and believe that that's real instead? Brought up to dislike the police and the state and anything I had to do with it. So I think that when you're four or three years old and people are telling you that they just question it from there on out you know it becomes part of who you are but I think that most people are just programmed to fucking ride along you know shit that's common knowledge that's happened they don't even know they don't want to look under the cover they don't want to really know the history of this country and the shit that goes down and how fucking entrenched it is what's one fact that maybe one of the listeners right now shaking their head should just look into or understand or realize I think the involvement of the CIA and the drug trafficking all around this world through all of its modern history that people should understand. 
from the fucking level of overseas whole wars being fought to protect poppy fields to they're shipping the shit into the hood. Literally, the government is the fucking drug dealer. It always has been. But people just can't believe it. You know what I mean? They just can't comprehend that that's the reality. You know, you're out here on the road driving around, putting in some miles, telling us your life story. Is there anything missing or anything you want to add before we get the hell out of here? Rest in peace, better. Sometimes I don't know where this dirty road has taken me. Sometimes I can't even see the reason why. I guess I keep a gambling. Lots of booze and lots of rambling. Lots easier than just a waiting around to die. One time, friends, I had a ma. I even had a pa. He beat her with a belt once cause she cried. She told him to take care of me. Headed down to Tennessee. Oh, it's easier than just a waiting around to die. Well, I come age and I found a girl in a Tuscaloosa bar. And she cleaned me out and hit it on the slide. I tried to kill the pain I bought some wine and hopped a train Seemed easier than just waiting around to die Well a friend said he knew Where some easy money was We robbed a man Brother, did we fly? Well, the posse caught up with me, drug me back to Moki. It's two long years of waiting around to die. Oh, but now I'm out of prison. I got me a friend at last. He don't drink or steal or cheat or lie. Well, his name. Codeine, he's the nicest thing I've seen. And together we're gonna wait around and die. All together we're gonna wait around and die.